The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome to Episode 9. Hey, thanks for all the kind words and feedback we've been getting. And uh, today we're going to be talking with a singer, songwriter, musician who has been a staple on the Chicago scene and beyond for many years. His music really speaks to me, and uh, I look forward to having him speak with us. And I guarantee if you enjoy meticulously crafted pop songs uh, akin to the Beatles, Squeeze, Emmett Rhodes, the Raspberries, the British Invasion, and all those other giants that were responsible for the catchy earworms that infected our listening habits throughout the years, uh, then you will find the music of Phil Angotti a wonderful gift as well. It's been a hell of a week for me. Uh, One of my closest friends, someone who I worked with in my early days of radio and who's remained a friend for 30 years, and someone who I speak to at least once, if not three or four times a day, had to be airlifted to Northwestern Hospital with a life-threatening issue last Saturday. And the first week was really heavy um, but the last couple days he's made a great turn for the better and um, being the human tank that he is and the purebred American buffalo face the storm kind of guy he is he seems to be on the mend and uh, thank you on social media um, his wife asked me to post something and I did and just hundreds of wonderful uh, sentiments and prayers and hope and support and I appreciate that very much as does his family and uh, again you know I was reminded of how precious and fragile all of our lives are we get busy we move forward we do our things um, but you never know when something's going to happen to someone and you're going to feel helpless so the cliche is you always hear people say Tell someone you love them every chance you get. Make sure you tell your family and friends you love them. But it's true. I think um, it's a practice that we should all start getting into more and more. Um, I mean, it's at first it feels weird when you start doing it, but eventually you do get used to it. And instead of saying goodbye to someone, just, hey, I'll talk to you later, love you. And it may throw them off, but they'll get used to it. Well, as a diversionary tactic from the emotional drain of having a loved one in the hospital this past week, I delved into a a great YouTube video. It's a new interview with jazz guitarist Pat Metheny, who's a great musical hero of mine, conducted by music professional and educator Rick Beato. It's B-E-A-T-O. If you type Pat Metheny interview into the YouTube search... It should pop up first. It'll be Pat Metheny and Rick Beato, B-E-A-T-O. It's just an incredible conversation and a great look at Pat's creativity uh, and career. And it plays out like this wonderful music class. So check it out. I've been a Pat Metheny fan since high school. He's one of those cats that never stops growing, never stops learning, never stops expanding upon his palate and um, just creates beautiful stuff. And Pat has a unique voice that I'm really drawn to. And and a unique voice on his instrument, because he's not as vocalist. So, I mean, in the proverbial artistic sense, 
you know, to find one's own voice is the key to being an artist. Whatever our pursuit, we begin by being influenced, but we need to get beyond that and find our own voice. Drummers might learn John Bonham parts or copy Ginger Baker or watch Buddy Rich. Singers might cop Sinatra's phrasing style or perhaps uh, try to sound like Eddie Vedder or whatever. An actor might watch Pacino's slow burns and spontaneous bursts of energy, and that's something to study. And a painter might, you know, I don't know, immerse his or herself into the works of Goya or Van Gogh or, you know, name a thousand artists, Picasso, whatever. But we have to eventually transcend it. We can't escape influence, but we can transcend it. That's the key to becoming an individual. Find your unique voice, transcend the boundaries of influence and expand whatever particular genre or form of art you are a part of. And today I offer you the wonderful voice, both vocally and artistically speaking, of Phil Angotti. Phil Angotti is a superb songwriter, a multi-instrumentalist, and a seasoned performer. Many years, I was, many years ago, I was doing some digging at a local record store, and I came across an album called Flower Bomb with his name on it. And I'm like, hey, that's the guy from the Beatle Brothers. And he's released many albums since then, each one filled with beautiful melodies, exceptional musicianship, wonderful songs, and a real passionate detail to songcraft. His latest release is called Still Life. It was a collection that he uh, wrote and recorded during our 2020 cluster. And, uh, you know, we all found ourselves with a lot of time on our hands. But, Phil, you were out there writing songs and recording them. So it's a pleasure to welcome you to the program today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you always. I am a huge fan of your music. And um, it's just, you know, one thing that I I teach music. And so I, I use some of your stuff to talk to kids about craftsmanship and how to you know it's not just it's not just putting the chords together it's it's the details in between the the chords and so now i want to go back you know because i got a lot of questions for you and this is my first interview since charlie watts passed away this week and uh you know as a drummer he was a huge inspiration to me and of course i love love charlie too yeah we're all stones fans and so it's like it's a real punch to the gut because uh yeah and you know he's got to be thinking as he passes on, really me and not Keith. Keith, Keith, it'll be Keith. It'll be Keith and the cockroaches, right? That'll be what's yeah, left. Yeah, I think so. Oh, man, that's something. Yeah. Well, now you've but been I, a you've been a, a staple, especially in the Chicago music scene for many years. Well known in Chicago area. But I want to start at your Southside beginnings, where you grew up, and uh, what what your what your upbringing was like. Well, I grew up on a little little neighborhood called the East Side. It was a really working class, uh, really nice, uh, kind of a hardworking, you know, middle class neighborhood. Um, a lot of working families, a lot of dads that were working steel mill jobs and, you know, uh, things like that. Um, it was a pretty pretty fun upbringing, upbringing at times. The neighborhood was a little, little tough, but uh, overall it was a pretty fun and friendly neighborhood to grow up in. Yeah, I grew up by uh, Midway Airport. It was the same. It was it was it was huh? fun, and there was great camaraderie and a great sense of the neighborhood. But it was a little tough. You you had to hold yeah. your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so when did music enter your life? 
Early on, I mean, I, as a little, really little kid, I don't remember everything about it. My mom said I was mus- musically uh, inclined and, you know, played little little toy organs and always wanted a toy guitar and I was listening to Beatles and my, my, my dad listened to country, my mom listened to pop music, my grandparents on my mom's side played polkas, I liked that too, uh, evidently yeah. I sang polka music in the yard, I didn't even know what I was singing, <laughs> but um, when I started, uh, I actually asked my, my mom and dad for a guitar at, when I was seven. And I took lessons at a little place on the east side called Stevens Academy of Music. So I was actually taking proper guitar lessons. But at that age, it, didn't, it doesn't really stick with you that much. You're learning to read and write uh, music, you know. Um, and I, I don't know if I took to it that well, but um, I liked guitar. I seemed to learn pretty fast. But then I kind of put it away and played sports and did other things. And I picked it up again in high school, uh, senior year. And... I started learning on my own just by ear and then I was really really like okay I like I like this this is fun yeah and so by the time I graduated high school I was already practicing with my one of my best east side buddies I named Dennis Pizzuto who was a Beatle fan we used to walk around and sing harmonies together so we already kind of almost like we were practicing to be in a band and so I I kind of put a band together called the Fleas yeah and I invited uh, another east side pal a guy named rob kutzer who really wasn't a drummer but we convinced him to go buy a drum kit which he did because <laughs> he was one of us we all we had a similar taste in music we loved the beatles and the stones and the who and monty python like we had all these similar interests you know so we wanted to be i wanted to be in a band with my buddies that we all felt the same and at that time we got to remember this is 19 19- 79 and 80 so 1980 by the time we were actually playing shows yeah there weren't that many young bands playing 60s music really mm-hmm. it was more 70s or or maybe say metal or you know stuff like that so we were kind of weird you know, like what are these teenage what are these guys doing playing stones and beetles and small faces and yeah early who song so it was kind of like we became a novelty and we had people come watch it so, you know, at that age, they're out and ready to party and hang out. So it was easy getting people out long before social media helped us as word of mouth. And we became like this little band on East Side that played bars and shows and sock hops and had a nice little little run there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, so the Fleas and then was the idea your next band or were you in the scuffle then? No, the scuffle was next and... The scuffle started because I had met uh, a guy named Donnie V. Yeah, he was our first guest. Then I, I know, I know. And um, so anyway, Don, so how I met Donnie V. So the Fleas used to play. Um, my friend Jay Gepner, who I end up in the Beatle Brothers years later, he wasn't playing with me yet. Um, we just were really good pals, and we met at Beatle Fest. And he goes, Phil, my mom at the church, Founders Footlights, and she books the bands, and we play in a classroom. And we got to have you. So the Fleas did two of those like 80 81 or something so evidently one year jay jay had a new band called feedback and donnie was in it and the second year um i decided to play in a band with donnie and i started uh, struck up a friendship and he oh i play bass and i went to go see them i'm like oh that kid's great he sings he and uh, so before i played with jay i played with donnie and um gil from feedback and um Jay's brother Danny and myself had a little band called the Jailbirds 
and we only were together just to do the founder's footlight because the they, they dressed the uh, classroom like a like a jail. We had striped shirts on and we're playing behind <laughs> bars. It's kind of funny if you know some of our history. <laughs> wink, wink. Well, a little, little, little prophetic for Donnie V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know just joking about you know, but Donnie and I instantly uh, became really fast friends, and we both realized we both can sing, and we both were already writing songs, and so next thing you know, we're, uh, maybe a year later, we're in a band together, and we called it the Scuffle. I think I came up with the name from Skiffle, and we just changed it into Scuffle because you know, final yeah, fighting yeah, yeah. band. Like, so you, you know, we made the F's into like the F, like a musical F. I did a little logo, and then we we had two other guys, George Carl and Rob Nowishelsky. We called them Rob Noe, and we had a little band, and we started playing shows and Beetlefest. You know, we won Beetlefest. Wow. And gigs and scuffle kind of. We lasted a couple years uh, with Donnie. Yeah. Maybe a year and a half, two years. But yeah, that's how that's how that all started, and then the idea came after that. Yeah, and the idea, I mean, by the time you were doing that music, you had really, I mean, you became a really legitimate songwriter. I mean, it was amazing stuff. You've really. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, got, I, yeah, I was right at that time. When I, when I first met Donnie, neither one of us had a lot of songs. We were both new at it, and we were writing. We even wrote a few together. Uh, and then Donnie really started getting heavy into writing. He was he was really writing already, which was great because it sh- pushed me too. And then uh, we, you know, we split up, and he joined with Chip and everything. You know, we stayed friends. It wasn't really hard feelings. It just seemed like something that was just going to happen. And I stuck I stuck it out with my drummer George, who played with us in a scuffle. And little by little, I was I did some recordings. I did a solo record called Songs About Riffs. Mm-hmm. I think in '86, and and that was still just under my name. And then when I put the next band I put together was when I named it the idea that would have been the late eighties, like 88. Yeah. And I made a couple albums with them and I kept them around for a while. Um, as a three piece, George moved over to bass and I got a new drummer named Fred DeSanto and we made three full length CDs together under that name. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play a bit of uh, too late tomorrow. Too Late Tomorrow was on Flower Bomb. And I didn't use the name idea on that because um, Fred wasn't on it. And I kind of wanted to keep that name for the three of us. Yeah. So George Crawl stayed with me, played drums on, on on the record. I think Fred did play in a couple tracks on that album. But I, that was the first time I called uh, it a, like a Phil Angotti solo record since my first one. Yeah. So, And I did that because of different... We just had different lineups on different songs, you know. It wasn't the same band, really. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an well, you so many. I mean, I play. I was in the car with my daughter, and I get into you know, and I think we all do. We, if you lead a creative life, there's times when you say, "This is wonderful. This is great," and then there's times mm-hmm. when y- y- you know we all get it. We all get to that point where we say, "Why, why, why is this guy and not that guy?" And I remember playing uh, one of your CDs in the car. And I said to my daughter, 
if this was Paul McCartney's new album, it would be the biggest record in the world. <laughs> oh, it does help to have a little presentation like that, isn't it? Yeah, I guess once you're, once you're not really a big name other than your neighborhood or your city or whatever, it is harder to get people to take notice because there's just so much stuff out there. It's, you know, people need to have something to latch onto and go, oh, that guy, you know, they need to be told that's really going to be greater. Yeah. You know? So sometimes we get a little overlooked and it's part of life, you know. It I, is part I'm of life. Of, you, you, you fall I've in love with the work. It. You fall in love with yeah, the work and I, you keep doing it and you definitely keep doing it. You're, you're, yeah. uh, your recordings, some of them are available on vinyl, which is great because that, you, you are really good in the studio, the way that you balance stuff out. It really sounds rich. I appreciate it. Yeah, I like working in the studio. I'm comfortable. I've had a lot of years experience. I, uh, you know, I, I have to send you one, but I did put out a, a vinyl recently, even though I didn't consider it a new album because I put some older songs on it, remixed, and then there's two new ones. It's called um, Top Tunes and Real Grooves, mm. and it's a vinyl, and it goes back. It spans. There's one idea track on there, and the rest are from the last several albums I made under my name, Phil and Gotti, with two brand new songs, kind of like I chose them. Like I wouldn't call it the greatest hits because they're not hits, but kind of like that, you know, so kind of a, a selection of songs that I really liked and I know people like yeah and uh, that just came out uh, um, it was manufactured here in Chicago at a, at a pressing plant called smash plastic which is kind of cool that it was done here and mm -hmm. the label is big blast um, Kirk Fox has a, a power pop label called big blast so he does some promotion for us um, but anyway um, it just came out limited copies but uh, make sure I send you one. Oh, I, I can't wait thank you and you know you've got a real affinity for classic rock obviously we talked about the Beatles and the who there's um, in your songwriting, I hear a lot of uh, Kinks influence, and obviously, yeah, <laughs> obviously, with your with your wonderful voice, you get a lot of uh, Tilbrook. I'm guessing, um, yeah, people yep. talking about that. Always, always did. Yeah, but you know, hey, if you're going to be compared to someone, you could do a lot worse, right? Right, I love Glenn. Yeah, we yeah. do have a similar timber in our voice. Yeah, like very easy. If I sing a squeeze song, which I did at my solo gig last night, I sang a couple of squeeze songs, and yeah, I kind of could fly right into that because the range is so similar for me. You know, yeah, he's always been one of my favorite singers. Anyway, oh, the bit, yeah, one of the, one of the great bands. Yeah. So, oh you know, God, yeah. so in addition to, you know, the bands that you were in and, and obviously the Phil Angotti band and your solo stuff that mm -hmm. you do now, because you do a lot of solo gigs. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, the side projects you have, the great moments in vinyl you guys play out. Yeah, that's a really fun thing. And it's kind of fun for me because I, it's really not my band. Like Lindsey Cochran, he was, he's got a great voice and he narrates the show and he puts the bands together. But then I, I became a... A big part of it when he started doing the Stone shows, and I did Tom Petty. We even did a Nirvana show. We did the Unplug show. Yeah. Um, and so, and Moody Blues, which was really fun. We did a King show um, the, right before COVID hit at, at the end of the uh, previous year. We did a King album. We did um, something else. So we've done a, a lot of different interesting things. We did Elvis Costello this summer too. We yep. did two albums. First yeah. two albums, My Name Is True, and this year's Model. So that's a fun band, but I'm not in it all the time. For instance, if they're going to do Hendrix or, um, you know, uh, somebody else like Pink Floyd, you know, they, they, they get like-minded people to fill in and play those parts, which I think is great because then you're getting the people that really love what they're doing for that band. Instead yeah. of us, us trying to mold into things that maybe we're not, you know, it's not my style or not what I'm into. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. 
If they're gonna do a Jan, if they're gonna do Janis Joplin, they're not gonna call Phil. I got you. They're gonna call me, right? So, but the rehearsals for those shows have to be intense. They're pretty fun. I mean, because you know we have to kind of cram in a lot of stuff because not we're all in bands and we can't. We don't. It's not like we have time to do five, six rehearsals. So most of those gigs, honestly roll on two good long rehearsals wow um i don't even ever recall ever doing more than two and again that's if you get the right guys in the band and people that know material already it makes it easier when you get together everybody's kind of okay so now you're just going over endings and making sure uh harmonies or parts are right so you know it makes it easier that way it's not like you're coming in and relearning songs you know right right that's why it works and you're in a band called the what for yeah, that's that's basically just a fun name that we came up with. How that started was is, is when the Beatles albums all hit the 50th anniversary, starting with Please Please Me. So that was 62. So in 2000 and uh, where am I? Oh, uh, God, we're going back to 2000 and wow, 12, wait, 12, that would have been, right? 10 years, yeah. yeah. 2012, yeah. Um, we started doing those albums in, in the entirety at Fitzgerald's. Yeah. So it was Casey McDonough, who I play with in several things. He's in a Phil and Gotti band sometimes, too, and he's not working. Uh, Casey McDonough, Scott Legan. Scott Legan's a multi-instrumentalist. Uh, he's just amazing. Scott and Casey are actually in the band at NRBQ, too. And they, they've been playing with right. Terry Adams for six years. And then um, we have a, a guy named Tony K, Tony Kidnakis. And the four of us became the what four and we'd cover Beatle albums and in its t- entirety every time you know they came out for the 50th anniversary yeah. there we've used a couple different drummers because then scott played drums in the first couple albums then he went to guitar and piano which is he's way more versatile than any of us and um and then we had joe camarilla who sadly uh we lost joe in february um a guy named matthew warrens played drums with us but other than that that's the the, the core four and we've done the done a, every Beatle album pretty much we skip pepper we're like ah, we don't, we're not going to hire horns and strings <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you know what's weird yeah. uh people this is a, this is a uh people want to know this you know all the Beatles songs by heart you could just yes you, i do any request you this that's it you, and i saw yes, that I you performed a, a very special evening a few years ago i'm actually looking at the poster on my uh it was uh, November 10th, 2017. I'm looking at the poster on my music room wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Phil and Don show when you played with Donnie V. And you were just, people were just calling out Beatles songs and you guys were playing them spot on. I'm like, wow, these guys know every Beatles fun. song. Yeah. Yeah, Don and I, yeah, right. That was, really, that was a really good time. That was at the G-Man, right? Yeah, yeah, up on, uh, yeah. by Metro there, yeah. Right, right. That was a lot of fun, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got I played with Donnie I, I was in his band for his uh, record release at Fitzgerald's, Fitzgerald's that was in yeah. geez, it was January of 2020 yeah yeah and I and I told you then hey I'm thinking of doing yeah. a podcast in addition to my radio show and here we are <laughs> many months you later are, right? and we're doing it yeah you were excellent well, in that show and Donnie was good. down on that show he was upset about it. I said yeah. listen even though you guys you, you know it was kind of thrown together but that was people were waiting to see him, you know. Yeah, I think Donnie was just. I think Donnie's disappointment was it, it wasn't what he wanted it to be. And in fairness, 
Um, we didn't have enough rehearsals. Right. Um, and we had a drummer change in the middle of it. And Greg Potter was fabulous. And he's a great player. Yeah, he's and Greg did. I, I mean, Greg, oh, he's great. And I think everybody did a really good job considering. I think that we all, to a man, wish we would have had a couple more run-throughs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know what happened, too? Donnie got a little nervous. And, and, and some of the songs that we talked about doing that were, we were supposed to focus on his new album, Beautiful Things, which I love. Yeah, he kind of chickened out, kind of chickened out. And then he wanted to go back and do some enough's enough stuff and i i don't think we were the right band for that personally i know i'm that's not my style of guitar playing right and um i think maybe that's where we're derailed a little bit but i think the songs that we rehearsed from his album came out quite good i was happy with it but you know i, I kind of understand where he was coming from but yeah i think he took it maybe maybe too little too hard and i think he wasn't that pleased with his own performance but i thought he did great and i yeah again, like you said the main thing is the people enjoyed it i didn't see anybody disappointed out there i didn't see anybody you know no. i saw a bunch of happy faces and i saw a good crowd and you could tell when you're on stage how things are going and i, I never felt for a minute that you know anything was sour no I, I, again like i said we're we're all perfectionists and we'd like it to be better sure that, that, that's my take on it you well know, when, when i talked just... when i when i talked to him about it i said well you're not able to be objective about it because it's it, right. your perspective and us out there singing along with you guys and having a blast and seeing people we haven't oh, seen yeah. since the thirsty whale yeah. um and i didn't feel bad about it because he, he called me and he said hey man I, you know i didn't mean anything by it. you know i i thought you did a great job brother and uh, i know how donnie is and i i know i know he just took it a little little too hard yeah myself, i think you know talking about power pop in chicago the band material issue obviously legendary um oh, yeah. jim ellison was uh an incredible singer songwriter and player yeah, and he sure uh I, sure I got to sit with he and uh, who did I share a table with? It was the closing of the Thirsty Whale, so Enough's Enough was uh -huh. playing. All right. And I sat with him and um, it was Jim and Nash Cato, and I and uh -huh. I just picked their brains because I was really interested in both of them, and I just talked to them about music and songwriting. The great guy, mm -hmm. and so with him gone. Uh, you you stepped in as lead singer and guitarist, and and that, and we know that's bittersweet in its circumstance, but it is. it's also wonderful to keep that music alive and keep his legacy shining. So tell us about that. I do. I feel good about it because you know if I if I was asked to do it, wasn't really a big fan, and I was doing it, let's say for the glory. Oh yeah, I could do this. I I don't think I'd feel right, and I don't think Mike and Ted they would know too. Uh, they knew I was a fan. They've heard me sing this stuff. Uh, I was already playing in a band with Mike, uh, just started a band with Mike. So Mike knew what I can do. Ted and I had known each other over the years, though we really hardly played together, maybe once. But, you know, they could see that I approached it. Um, you know, I really, the music meant something to me, you know, and I, I took it seriously. And, you know, I sang my ass off. Like I was really... I was letting them know, listen, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it my all. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not mailing it in, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, honestly, I, I was, I just had practice with them the other night for our Skokie show Saturday. And I was sitting there going, man, like the, the set list, these, these songs are all so catchy and good. It's like a, just a set list of hits. I yeah. Mean, they're great tunes. Are, and you know, they're not complicated. J Jim's talent. I feel a little bit like, I, I kind of feel like he's got a little Tom Petty where, you know, not not like squeeze. It's more like a little bit simpler and to the point. But man, it's catchy, and you remember the songs, and it's memorable. And that's yeah. kind of what you want for a song songwriter. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to get to that a little bit uh, and a little bit about your songwriting and your your song craft. But I can't seem to keep you warm. Fall asleep as fast as I can. 
But um, you know, you you know, over the years, obviously, you've you've shared the bill with some amazing artists. I want you to give us a few highlights from your performing life. Well, you know, I, I played with some really, really cool people. And, and in fact, most of the cool people I played with were in my band. I got to play with in the band, yeah, like right. you know, Mike, Mike and Ted. I jumped in with Cheap Trick one night when Robin wasn't there at the Metro. That was another story. That was wonderful. Um, you know, I played with Brad. I played with the Elvis Brothers. I played with uh, mm-hmm. Brad and Graham for a long time. We called ourselves, jokingly, not the Beatles. <laughs> we did right. Wednesday nights at the Lion's Den. And, um, you know, so guys like that, I've always looked up to. So being in a band with them was like, you know, I played with Donnie V. And I still brag about that because, I mean, Donnie's, Donnie's one of the greatest. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, he's, but as far as like, oh, yeah, he's awesome. Just, just awesome. I'd like talent. to see you guys do an album together. Well, we, we, we've been talking about it. All so, right. We'll, know, we'll keep it under wraps till then. <laughs> <laughs> we've written a, few, a couple songs together over the years. It's been a while, but um, but anyway... Like as far as like opening shows and things like that, I've opened for Marshall Crenshaw at Space, and then we again recently two years ago, Marshall is uh, actually singing with the Smithereens now that oh, passed wow. away. Okay, so that's pretty cool. And we opened for them, and that was really fun. I we, I played with Matthew Sweet, played with uh, yeah. So I've opened up and played with some really cool people. Even me just solo opened up for David Lindley once at Space. Wow. Uh, I opened up for for Eddie, the late great Eddie Money at, at City Winery, and that was pretty funny. He was a really funny, funny individual. Yeah, I had him on my show a few times, and he he was a riot. Funny guy, yeah, yeah a riot, yeah, yeah. So he you was... know, there were some little run-ins of people like that, and it was always enjoyable for me. But I think one of my favorite shows though was when I opened for Marshall Crenshaw that first time at Space because I'm such a fan. Well, you guys you are know, kindred said, kindred yeah. spirits. De- definitely kindred spirits there. Yeah, I, I I could see that. You know, I think I, it's a good comparison. Like I think my musically and vocally, pretty close to kind of his style. Yeah, I always loved him. Yeah. Well, you know, I know I know the first songs that I wrote when I was a kid were you know were created with a notebook full of lyrics about girls that I was crushing on and and I would just get uh, a guitar chord book and just see which chords fit the- <laughs> and I had zero zero idea of theory and it's funny to go back and and then try to play these songs and see these mis- mismatched chord progressions and you play them now and you can hear how brilliantly awful they were but can you recall some of your earliest songs and maybe some of the first oh, yeah. stuff that you wrote you know they're, like you said brilliantly awful when you're writing them when you're young you're getting all excited this is great you put it on tape and listen to it a couple of days later like ah and then of course we all did this we all wrote the great song that was already written you oh know, yes we've already thrown those away I had actually a song I wrote a long time ago and I, 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 Nick, I called it Kathy after a, a friend, you know, and it sounded just like little bit me, little bit you by the monkeys. And I played it for Jay one night and all the guys and they were kind of cracking up. It's like, it's really catchy, Phil, but it, I think it sounds a little like that monkey song. But that's how you learn. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, you can't, and then as years go on, you can't be afraid of that because it will happen. You will write some part of the song. It's going to remind somebody of something. It's just sure. impossible not to. As long as you have like a honest approach, and you know, and then you just try to write some things that just take it away from that a little bit, which I always try to do. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't deny the influences around your sleeve sometimes, but it's all part of the process of learning how to write. Yeah, and you know what? If you do write a song that someone's already written, you, you find that the chord progression is the exact same. And I had that happen. A friend of mine was listening to a song I wrote, and he's like. There's a song that I that that reminds me of, and it wasn't just that he reminded me of. So he sent it to me. It's a Sixpence None the Richer tune, 
And I'm like, uh-huh. holy cow. And I was really, I love this song, but I'm like, this is the exact same chord progression that they're opening uh-huh. with. But I'm going to keep it well, anyway, because it's, it's, it's only yeah, a couple, a couple yeah. seconds. And you know what happens? Sometimes you have a song in the back of your mind. It's in your brain. It's in your psyche. And you might not even remember it while you're writing a song. It'll pop in. Yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my early idea songs is a song called Swing Set. And, the, and not, nothing in the melody or the singing sound anything like it, but the little riff sounds like All or Nothing by the Small Faces. And at the time I'd written the song, I probably hadn't listened to that song in, in years. Well, sure enough, there it is. I'm like, oh. I listened in the car one day, or I'm in the car one day, and all nothing. I'm like, oh, there's all or nothing. It, it appeared on my song. Yeah. And it's just that one little section, but yeah, so that, that does happen. It, it does happen, that stuff sure. Is in your head, you know? Yeah. Well, Phil, you've written so many incredible tunes. I want you to walk us through the creative process because we were speaking about Donnie V, and I was, you know, when I interviewed him the, the, a few months ago, he was saying mm-hmm. the lyrics come last for him. And that surprised me with him. Mm-hmm. So is, do you have a set way of doing things? I mean, do lyrics come first, music next, or does it vary? Or how does well, it work? Me, unlike Donnie, I, I sometimes go the other way. Sometimes I have some lyrics in mind and then I'll put it to music more than the other way. But I do, I do also have melodies. I'll sit on guitar, guitar, yeah. um, Oh, recently piano. Donnie's played piano since he was a kid. I didn't. I, I started late in life. But um, I always seem to come up with lyric lines and titles, and then I write around that. Mm-hmm. But there's no rule. Like I, I, like I told you, I do both. But, yeah, it's, it's a pretty – it's a mixed match of, of, of that, you know? Yeah. Well, people need to collect your albums. Are they all still available, or what's available, and where can they get them? You know, most of them are. There's a couple of them that su- surprisingly are out of print. You know, back in the back in the day, we had other people helping us sell CDs. You know, you had like not lame records, and you had cool. You had all these different companies that would sell your record. You'd send them a box of CDs, and you had shows, and you're whatever touring, or whatever. It's so hard to sell product now. So we, we all do small runs, and we can get them anytime we want. But back in the day, um, a, a company called Jam Records made Flower Bomb, and they probably made maybe a thousand copies, maybe fifteen hundred. Mm. Well, they're gone. And we, I never had them re- remanufactured, and I don't know who, who manufactured them. Or, so there's a couple things that are out of print, like Picturesque was, a, was mm-hmm. the idea, second album, and that's out of print. Uh, so there's a couple things that you, you know, aren't available, but everything else is. Like, I, and I've done a lot of records over the years, probably 14. Just a song for a friend I never see. And people can order your stuff, philangottimusic.com, and they could, mm-hmm. you know, that's a nice website. You can go through it and uh, see your whole career and order your records. And, and like I, like we were talking about earlier, the vinyl stuff is available there. Yeah, my good friend Annette just put that together for me this year, and she's she helped me with that. I'm not too good at that stuff. So Yeah, but you have to know when to delegate. That's the sign of a true professional. Uh, yes, sir. I was like, I'm not doing that. So I check up on it once in a while and let her know when I'm playing, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much turn stuff on. That's what even at my radio show during the morning, I have people around me. It's like uh, my news guy Rob's like, you have handlers. I said, well, I, guess, I don't know. How that's work. a good way to put it. <laughs> I've only been in radio for 30 years. I have no idea how to use, how to work this stuff. <laughs> but how big is your record collection? Oh man, uh, I've got a lot of vinyl. I've yeah. been collecting for years, and a lot of stuff I had when I was a kid. But um, 
yeah, over the past several years, just as a hobby, I'd just go on eBay or looking in and find some cool records or go record shopping and anything old and mono of Stones or Beatles or anything I like, I I try to grab it. But uh, yeah, I, I got a lot of a lot of vinyl. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I do too. I have the the bookshelves are starting to bow a little bit. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fun to collect, though. Really is. It, it is. It's, it's it like you're great. on a hunt. It's, it's like the big, the yeah. big sound safari. Oh, look what oh, I yeah. found! You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Excellent stuff. I found an old George Benson record uh, at a garage sale the other day. It was still. I'm like, I'm going to bring this home. Listen, it was really good. Really good. Oh, I bet. Yeah. His, his. You know, people. It's so weird because when you start becoming a collector, you go down all these rabbit holes and you find yep. out. Yep. Oh, this drummer worked with that. Oh, this engineer worked with them, and then it's it's never ending. So. I know. You can just keep going and going. Yeah. So people can go to your website and check out. And also, uh, you've got some gigs coming up. I'm going to close with a song that I want to ask you about. But first of all, give us what you got going on. As far as the gigs go, um, September, um, this just in, uh, Material Reissue are playing at Summerfest in Milwaukee. Uh, That'll be Friday, uh, September 3rd. And then um, I have a... Um, a show at Reggie's. It's an anniversary show for the bar Reggie's, the South Loop there. Uh, we're doing a set of Elvis Costello music. Excellent. And then um, a bunch of other things later in the month. My, you know, I always have my Beatle brunch. That's once a month on a Sunday. So check the dates on that on the, on the website. Uh, um, and then um, that's really it uh, until uh, October gets busy again. <laughs> yeah, well, you stay busy. And it's, it's a pleasure yeah, talking with you. Now, what I do is I pick the brain of uh, talented people that are on my program. I'm going to ask you, uh, you're going away for six months. You're going to be on an island, and you have to bring the Desert Island Discs. So uh, give us your top five, the, the albums that you'd Ooh, have to that's, go that's with. That's a good one. Okay, well, i got to have to have one Beatle album, and I have to have one Stones album. Have to, so here's how I'll do it. So I'll, I'll do it that way instead of picking all one band or something. Five albums, huh? Um, I would probably have to bring um, the Magical Mystery Tour with me. It's, it's just dear, dear to my heart. I love Beatle that album, album. and, and yeah, it's, I do too. It's, a lot of people don't because yeah. they, they feel it's not a real album because side two is singles. But I just, I find it uh, a fascinating album because as a kid I got it and it just blew my brains out. Yeah, yeah. how cool it was. Um, I probably God, I love the Stones so much, but I guess I'd have to bring Exile on Main Street with me, and it's a double album, so that would give me more music to listen to. Is that kind of cheating? But I would I'd bring that. Um, I probably would bring just to, to have something common, relaxing. I might bring Nick Drake's uh, Pink Moon album. Oh yeah, I love the acoustic. You know, it's 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 stark and it's maybe a little depressing, but sometimes you need that, right? Yeah, a little melancholy. Yeah. Let's see if what's what would be a fun record to bring with me? Maybe a little off the cuff. Uh, oh man, oh I'd probably bring Dusty uh, Dusty Springfield, uh, Dusty in Memphis. Dusty in Memphis. I, every I road trip. It's funny you mentioned Dusty members. Every oh, single road trip. If I'm going yeah, more than a hundred miles, that record. Oh, if just, I'm going more than a hundred miles, it's going in the sun. Listen, if I'm leaving a, a trip, you know, with the guys from the old neighborhood, and we're leaving Lake mm-hmm. Geneva on a Sunday morning, and I'm driving, mm-hmm. that's the that perfect goes right in. That's, Great stuff. And probably uh, Kinks uh, Village Green Preservation Society. That I have to go with me too. That's a great album. And again, I, you could ask me tomorrow, and I have. 
maybe different yeah. ticks. Oh yeah, the exile is always going to be there. But yeah, um, that's a good that's a good uh, summary of different styles of, of things I like. Yeah, and those styles all come up in your music, so people need to uh, need to definitely check it out. Okay, so you're going to read a book on the island. What book? Are you? Donnie V's book was Ayn Rand's Anthem, which blew my mind. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't. Think, I like I like her too. I, that, that's interesting. Yeah, to bring one book with me. Hmm. That's actually a hard one because I'm such a book guy. I love reading books. Yeah. Maybe I would take a uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes. Up. Yes. Because they're short stories, but I would take – it's fun because you could just read it. You know, you don't have to read the whole, you know, like a novel, for instance. But, I, you know, I would say maybe I'd bring uh, the complete works of Sherlock Holmes with me. Yeah, I bought my daughter the complete works of uh, Sherlock Holmes when she was young, when she was just starting to get mm-hmm. into books. And I said, this will teach you deductive reasoning that will be applied in real life. And sure enough, yeah, golden <laughs> stuff. And the yeah. one the one movie you'll bring with you. Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night, classic. Just because it's fun and yeah. yeah, and it's musical. So you got the you got the Beatle music and you got. I just love the whole premise of that film, the humor, the yeah. look of it, the way it looks, and yeah, I think that's an easy one. John Lennon in the bathtub is is one oh, of the just, com- comedic pieces of all time. John's great in the whole film. Is just his persona. And yeah, it's very much how he was. He witty and fast, and yeah, he 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 really stole it. And, and to me, because they talk about Ringo was great, which he was. He had that scene with the boy, and he's walking <laughs> yeah. around. But John really, I think, of all the Beatles, really sh- shined in that film. Yeah, well, he had a. He was really. Um, he was a comic. He, he mm-hmm. you know, he he could he could have been in Monty Python, you know, yeah, or, he or was the great. Goons, yeah. Yeah. You know, people don't realize he was on a lot of British television shows like more. Well, not more wise all the Beatles are on that. But he was on not only but also with Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Dudley Moore and Peter and Cook. And he had actually yeah. read a couple um, of his poems from his book. And he was great in it. Like he, he really seemed to take to it. Like he could have been great at that, I think. Yeah, it would have been it would have been something to see him go into that direction, maybe script writing or and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I mean, they're, they're unsung heroes of comedy because so many yeah. people were influenced by him. I had Tom Leopold on the program and, you know, he wrote for Cheers and he wrote for uh, Seinfeld. And and to have him say, you know, when he was coming up with Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, that they were in love with what Peter Cook and Dudley Moore were. We're oh, doing, you know, so great, yeah. And no one really knew him over here in the states. No, you know, nope, they did the not. Time. No, guys like yeah, us, we found him. Stuff. You and I found him later on, you know. And yep. I'm going to end our interview. By the way, you know, I'm a huge fan, and I think you're such a gentleman. It's a pleasure having you on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you play live very soon. But I'm going to I'm going to end with a you know because I, I have samples of songs that I wanted to sprinkle throughout the interview and singing in the yard. I mean, it sounds like your songs, but it's it's uh-huh. it's it's kind of stands alone. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background in this song. That's interesting. You picked that one. You know, uh, that was. You know, from the Such Stories album. So, um, you know, that that was like a very bare bones, just a little acoustic songwriting thing. Mm-hmm. And one of my earliest memories, I think I mentioned it early in this interview, I'd sing in the yard um, and I remember singing Beatles songs and having a fake guitar and like singing to this invisible audience. I'd be looking, you know, and mm-hmm. I had neighbors and these girls would come out and I go, what's he doing? You know, and go, before that, which I hardly remember. My mom says I was out in the yard singing polkas. And one of the neighbors, came, I was talking to my mom one day over the fence. She goes, you know, Marianne, your little boy was singing in a different, in a language and I didn't recognize it. What was he singing? My mom's like, Oh, he's singing polkas. He's wow. singing Polish. So it's kind of funny because I don't remember that so much, but I remember singing the Beatles and 
Herman Hermits. I loved Herman Hermits. I was a little late peel. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun yeah. little band when you were a kid, you know, and uh, I remember having these little concerts in my yard. So I guess I was already that's practicing funny. for for what I'm doing. So that's what the song is about. I would, I yeah. would play out in the backyard and pretend I was on the uh, Hudson brothers show or the monkeys. It's very, right, right. I think right, it's yeah. kids with the imagination. It's just something yep. we do with something about oh, the yeah. backyard. So yeah. before I, uh, before I end and I'm going to play a snippet of that beautiful song, uh, what advice do you have Phil? Because you've accomplished a lot and you are a working creative guy for aspiring guitar players first that could be for musicians in general Mm -hmm. what advice do you have and also for songwriters well i I think um for musically first it's just you know keep practicing and 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 be a sponge and listen to different styles and go back listen to you know when you like we were younger we heard the beatles and we didn't know long tall sally we didn't know little richard we didn't know uh where they were picking these records for arthur alexander for instance anna go back and listen to some of the uh the original guys and and listen to the the way they presented the songs and some of the simplicity and the recording how cool it is and i think it's the same with songwriting it's just listening to a a lot of different writers and styles and before you develop your own you need to maybe listen to some people you might never have listened to before Mm -hmm. just to see what they're about Uh, and that and 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 the other thing is about following your dream or just following oh maybe everybody's dream we all want to be big stars and that and that's not going to happen very often so i'd say if you're in it for the long haul it's because you really do love it Mm -hmm. and i i say it'll make you happy as you get older if you keep your craft up and you stay focused and you know you'll improve it's not like sports i I was just saying this to somebody god how can you imagine being 35 36 like jake arietta and you're great at your craft and all of a sudden you ain't got it anymore you can't pitch Mm -hmm. anymore you know we we can play for a really long time if we keep our health together and our voice together and you know we have the ability to make music for a really long time so i'd say enjoy it enjoy the ride enjoy the work yeah we enjoy your work thank you Phil and Gotti thank you very much Mike I appreciate you having me on you can hear his songs from across the street he's just marching to his very own feet he's just a small boy he's just a small boy singing in All right. Well, make sure you seek out Phil Angotti's music. It will enrich your life. And I thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Mike Tomato Happening. We look forward to being with you again next week. Make sure you tell your friends. Make sure you subscribe. And until then, go out there and have your best week ever. 